you look at the changes that have happened in the last just five years with this technology, and then you roll that forward with the things that he's put in place and, and his demanding standards that he has at Apple and the, the you know the people that he lined up when when I think he knew that you know the end was near for him. And um, yeah, I mean, I really think that that it's going to be different for generations. And, and I'm not one to to heap praises like that. I mean, there are probably four or five people, you know since Christ that I would say that about and and you know I think Steve Jobs is one of them This is Lawyer to Lawyer the award-winning legal podcast with J Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi West Coast meets East Coast and yes they are attorneys bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for joining us. I'm Craig Williams from a very hot and sunny Southern California this fall. Bob is away on business. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. We'd like to take this time as well to thank our sponsors, Clio, a web-based practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com. Above All Legal, a new online job board for the legal community. You can find out more about Above All Legal at AboveAllLegal.com. And Firm Manager from LexisNexis at MyFirmManager.com slash LTN. Well, just this month, we've lost one of the greatest innovators and pioneers of our time, Apple co-founder Steve Jobs. Steve and Apple changed the way we communicate, listen to music, watch movies, and conduct business through technology. So how did Steve Jobs impact the legal profession? In recent years, lawyers have been reluctant to abandon PCs for Macs, but now it seems that just about every lawyer you meet's got an iPad, including this one. So will all those iPads drive lawyers to move to Macs? This week on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to take a look at the influence of Steve Jobs and Apple on the legal profession, the current state of tech within the legal community, and if Jobs' ideas have driven innovation in other ways that have impacted lawyers. So joining us today is attorney Ben Stevens. He is a practicing attorney located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and blogger for the popular blog, The Mac Lawyer. After using Windows machines for over a decade, Ben's office has been all Mac-based since August of 2005. He's also given presentations on both technology and legal topics at continuing legal education seminars. And you can find out more about Ben at themaclawyer.com. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Ben. Thanks, Craig. And our next guest is Finnis Price. He's an attorney and co-founder of Techno ESQ Presentations which creates affordable mediation and trial presentations for small contract claims to multi-million dollar personal injury cases. And you can find out more about Finnis on his blog at technoesq.com and ipadesq.com. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Finnis. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, let's just start out with kind of a generalized question uh, for both either for Ben or for uh, Finnis. How do you think that Steve Jobs has affected the legal profession? Well, I think that um, by making technology more accessible, um, you know, as, as Apple has focused on consumers in general, um, you know, I think at Steve Jobs' direction since he rejoined the company several years ago, um, just making technology more accessible in general has has really eventually trickled down to lawyers. I mean, Craig, I'm sure as, as you know, most lawyers are 
um, you know, way behind the times when it comes to technology. And so the easier um, the technology is to learn and use, the more it's going to be used. And I think that's where Apple has really excelled. Venice, what do you think? You know, Ben, I, I absolutely agree with Ben. Ben and I have a lot of the same thoughts on, on the importance of Steve Jobs in the legal profession. And, you know, I, I think it even goes a bit further. You know, when you look at what Steve Jobs said in numerous speeches when he came back to Apple and saved Apple uh, from, from sheer bankruptcy and sheer bankruptcy, which was going to happen, you know, he said that basically we need to stop looking at the quantitative effects of what our product is and start looking at our values, our core values, and, and, and actually looking at providing what the customer wants instead of just what they think that they want. And I've started to see that shift in law firms. Uh, if, you, if you look at the way lawyers are now reacting to this recession, a lot of them are realizing that they've got to start increasing the quality of the representation that they're giving to their clients as opposed to just the quantity and how many hours they can give them. So I think it goes even beyond just the concept of the hardware. It's also just a state of mind as well. Do you think he's had much of an influence on the Internet? On the Internet? You know, it's really interesting. I was watching a video that uh, Steve Jobs and and Apple had done, I believe it was back in, in the late 80s. And on that video, they had a, an individual who was looking at a tablet, and it was basically his assistant, and he was asking that tablet different questions. You know, I remember reading an article about five years ago, can you find about this subject, and can you find that for me? And this little tablet would say, hold on a moment, and it would check its resources, and then come back with the article from South America. And we'd ask him a number of questions for things that obviously the tablet didn't have in its main memory. It had to go search somewhere else. And really what the tablet was doing was searching what we now call the Internet. And so I really think that he helped change and, and, and really focus us towards the Internet just from having the vision of having that global resource, but also through his devices. You know, the Internet's always been around People have always been online, but it wasn't until the iPhone and the iPad that really people everywhere they are are connected to the Internet, no matter what they're doing. Where do you think Steve Jobs got his inspiration? Do you think he was a kid that grew up watching Star Trek and science fiction and got motivated to provide the very things that he saw on television? You know, I I think that it's almost one of those things where, you know, you look at Steve Jobs and you look at Steve Wozniak. I think Steve Wozniak was the kid that grew up thinking about technology and watching Star Trek and watching all of these sci-fi things and thinking, those are the things that I want to make. Steve Jobs, on the other hand, I think, was looking at it from the perspective of, I want to change the world. And how do I do that? Because the world is going to be technology in the future. And I want to be part of shaping that future through technology. I think that Steve Steve Jobs was was a visionary in every sense of the word. Not not necessarily that he, you know, I, I agree, Finnis, that he did change the world. But I don't know that, I think that his inspiration was really, this is how things could be, this is how things should be. And the world needed a change to fit that, to fit that model. Um, you know, rather than looking at um, you know, the computer back, you know, pre-Mac, um, you know, when it's, when it's all, you know, letter and number driven and not visual and all that. And to see down the road, okay, it can be a visual interface. It can be a touch interface. It can be, um, even something like mobile me, which I've never been a fan of, but the thought to throw all that data out into the cloud and be able to share it between different devices and so forth. I mean, that, that's just, 
you know, visionary thinking along the lines of, and I don't say this lightly, but, but, you know, like Martin Luther King Jr. and race. I mean, not, not being satisfied with the status quo, not being satisfied with being told this, this is not possible, but rather, yeah, it is, and doggone it, we're going to do it. Do we have Steve Jobs to thank for the cloud? I, I don't know. Fennis can probably, I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not going that far. Um, I think that, I think that that he had a lot to do with it, even with something as simple as as mobile me um trying to push data that that people use every day, their contacts and their calendar and you know those types of email you know to make it accessible via multiple different devices um you know there may have been other ways to do that before, but that really made it easy for people to use finish what do you i think you know that better than me you know i I don't think that he's necessarily responsible for the cloud. But what I think he's responsible for is the ubiquitousness of the cloud. Because before, you know, we started looking at iPhones and iPads and mobile me, everyone was using Blackberries. And there wasn't this concept of my data somewhere else. And in fact, quite honestly, people didn't feel comfortable with that. They didn't have that much trust in the devices or in the cloud. And so I think with Apple's introduction of these easy-to-use devices that start using that cloud and showing how easy and simple it can be and secure and safe, I think that made it much more easier for the public to finally swallow that pill. Do I think we would have gotten there anyway? More than probably. I just think that in a Windows world where Microsoft is the one that maybe had more of a hand in interfacing with a cloud-based service, it probably would have taken much longer simply because of the hiccups in terms of not really being ready for it not being prepared for it, and so really turning a lot of people off to it, and especially in the legal profession, I don't think there would have been as much acceptance as fast as there was without Apple. Well, Ben, you have some direct experience with switching over to Mac and uh, Apple. Back in 2005, your your whole office did. Can you tell us about that? What was your motivation <laughs> yeah, to switch, and, and how did it work yeah, out? And, yeah, and, and I don't want to name names here because some, some of the um, – the culprits are still around, but um, we we got to the point where um, we were using we, we've used several different. I mean, in fact, all the major case management, you know, traditional database hosted case management programs over the years. And and back then, we switched over to at the time was supposedly the latest and greatest and and you know biggest, best and most popular one. And the the um, the transition to that went so terribly. Uh, combined with, I mean, the clunkiness of the software one, and then the the headaches that I think are inherent with PCs, at least back then, with them freezing up or you know blue screens of death and all that sort of thing. And, and it got to the point one Friday afternoon that I said, "That's it. You know, the software is going back. We had a 90-day, thank goodness, return, so it all went back. Um, the computers went in the, you know, the hard drives taken out. They went in the garbage. I drove." an hour and a half to Charlotte and bought Macs for everybody that Saturday. And when everybody came in Monday morning, they had different computers on their desk. I'd use Macs in college um, and, in fact, used them the, the first year I practiced. And, and then that was around the time that Apple, would, as Finna said, was on the verge of death. Um, and so our transition was literally Friday afternoon. They left and they had PCs. Monday morning they came in and had Macs and looked at me like I was crazy. But you know, by Wednesday, everybody was happy as clams. We had no more no more headaches with, you know, freeze-ups, lock-ups, any of that kind of mess. And, um, you know, it, it still took us a little while to find the sweet spot, what we wanted from a software case management standpoint. But um, but we got there, and um, 
you know, it, it worked out great. My only regret is not having made the move sooner. Um, and in fact, my kids now are using the power books that I bought back then for my partner and myself when we switched over. They're still using those power books today at home um, as their computers to access the internet. So they're, you know, those Macs are still alive and kicking. And how how did uh, how did you do the data transfer from uh, PC to Mac, or do you just start with new data? No, no, no. We we've I've still got all my data. Um, in fact, the the um, I've you know I started practicing in 1995, and so I'm. You know, when I got into it, the the firm that hired me, I got all of their systems um, computerized and and all you know contacts inputted and so forth. And so when I finally moved over to my current provider, I had eleven thousand contacts to import. Um, basically, when I switched over, the the program that I used at that time um, did an import. Most of the data, even back then. Could be exported in some um, translatable, you know, comma delineated format, so that it could then be imported into another program. And so we've gone from A to B to C to D. I think I I was speaking in the seminar last week, and I I figured out that I'd used I think eight or ten different case management programs in the 16, 17 years I've been practicing. And fortunately, I've been able to keep pulling, you know, from one to the other. So I've got all those contacts in there, which was the main thing I was worried about from a conflicts. Uh, check standpoint, because I do, I practice family law, and so we, you know, we deal with a lot of different people, and, um, I, you know, I don't want someone's, you know, the other side coming in and, and conflicting me out of something with a former client. So, um, it, you know, it's worked out pretty well doing it that way. I mean, anytime you, you're importing and exporting from different programs, there are going to be some formatting issues and so forth, but the data is in there and it's usable, and, um, and I'm, I'm satisfied with it. Well, Finnis, you've got a pretty interesting story about Steve Jobs. Apparently, you've had a phone conversation with him. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> sure. Uh, when I made the switch to Macs, I, I, I kind of like Ben had used Macintoshes a long time ago. Actually, my first and last Mac was actually a Mac, uh, an Apple IIe, and used that up until high school when I started finding that I really needed to switch over to a PC. So I did that, and it wasn't until... I first started practicing law that I had just really gotten fed up with my Windows machines, they were, as, as Ben was stating. It's the same problem everyone has. Programs are crashing. The operating system crashes. You seem to be fighting with the computer more than you're fighting actually trying to produce some kind of document or something on the computer. And so they had just come out with the new Macintoshes that had the Intel processor so you could dual boot and actually run Windows on them. And so I needed that because the law firm I was in had a Windows-based case management program. And so I went ahead and bought a MacBook Pro. It was actually the first generation MacBook Pro with the Intel processor. And unfortunately, I had one of the ones that was in the batch that had some problems with overheating. And so I had the device for about three months, and I had sent it back to Apple. And to give it to Apple, they would literally, when I would call and tell them I had the problem, they would ship me a box overnight. I would put my MacBook Pro in there ship it back to them overnight, which they paid for. They would try and fix it within two days and then ship it back. So I was never without my MacBook for more than three or four days, but they could never fix the problem. And so it was before they really knew what was wrong, and I was coming up actually on a mediation that I was going to be doing a presentation for, and I was going to be using Keynote. And so that's really one of the main reasons why I bought a Mac to begin with was because of just the beauty of the presentations that you could create with it and so finally, about three days before the mediation, I was running through it one night, trying to practice, and the computer just completely turned off again. 
And I was absolutely irate. I mean, just I woke my wife up. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm yelling. So I sat down and uh, emailed Steve Jobs, you know, sjobs at apple.com and proceeded to write about a five-page rant, basically just telling him, you know, I'm extraordinarily disappointed in this product. Your product is supposed to stand for quality. And yet here I have a device that I can't turn on and maintain being on for more than an hour. And explain to him, I'm a lawyer, I'm using this for mediations, and that, you know, if you're trying to bring this company back from where they were, this is completely unacceptable. So I go to bed. I don't think anything of it. The next morning I get into the office and I'm up there talking with the partners around 930. And I think I actually was still kind of complaining about my computer. And of course they were telling me what everyone, every PC user says, well, you should have gone Mac. And I get a phone call saying that it's Mr. Jobs on the phone. So being a kind of newer attorney, I kind of think through my head. I don't have that many clients yet. and None of my clients have the last name Jobs. So I just tell the receptionist to put them on hold or, or put them through my voicemail. And they buzz back up and it says it's Mr. Jobs from Apple Computers. And I thought you might want to take that. <laughs> so I'm thinking, oh, it can't be. So I pick up the phone. All right, who's messing with me? And, you know, I've always heard this, you know, Mr. Jobs at his keynote speeches. So I know his voice. And so as soon as he said, this is Steve Jobs, that's when my jaw hit the floor. I, I think I sat back down on the chair and proceeded to apologize profusely <laughs> for treating him that way. Um, he basically had gotten, or someone had sent him, or he had gotten my email, wanted to apologize for the problems I was having, said that they had discovered the problem and had actually fixed it in the, the new generation, which had just come out, I think, the month before. And so asked if it would be all right if uh, one of the store managers from the nearest Apple store, which is about 90 miles away, brought me a new MacBook Pro. And of course, I said yes. That would be perfectly fine. I think I was kind of speechless at that point. I think I could get the words yes out, and that was about it. Um, so it was a really short conversation. So that he'd be having the executive VP call me just to make sure everything was okay. And sure enough, about an hour and a half later, manager comes. I have a brand new MacBook Pro, fully loaded, as much memory as the thing could handle. And you know, I had had a base model first generation MacBook Pro, and they now give me top of the line MacBook Pro. And they transferred all the information for me, had mediation two days later, went absolutely perfectly. And so that's really what did it for me. In fact, probably one of the first blog entries I did on TechnoAsk, TechnoASQ, was going through that story and saying, the day that my computer crashes and Michael Dell comes down and brings me a new Dell is the day I switch back to Windows. Because you just don't hear about that kind of thing happening. Well, I'm sure that Steve Jobs didn't uh, provide MacBooks Pro to all 300 million of us here in the country, so you, you're probably pretty lucky. Well, it might have been my five-page rant. <laughs> well, Ben, now here's one for you. You know, there's been a lot of talk about how Steve Jobs is like Thomas Edison, and he's just really changed the way that, you know, obviously light is, uh, the invention of the light bulb is one of the things that, that dramatically changed the country and, and changed the world. Uh, do you, and let's let's just look at it from a little bit of a smaller perspective. Do you think that Steve Jobs' inventions have changed the way how lawyers think and communicate and practice law? I do. Um, and in fact, I was speaking with someone at church. The, the, I was in church the, at, at church actually when somebody sent me a text that that Steve Jobs had died. And you know, the the, the second thing I said was, um, you know, he he will what he did and, and what he his impact will change generations 
to come, not just, you know, those of us here now. Um, and, and I think particularly with lawyers, because we deal with, so, you know, on a day-to-day basis, we deal with a lot more data than people in a lot of other professions. Um, and the ability to access, manage, present, um, and, and interface with that data, you know, makes me a much better lawyer. Um, the, the seminar I was speaking at last week, I, I held up my iPhone. I didn't have my iPad with me, but I held up my iPhone. I said, look, literally, I've got every document and every client file that I've ever done with me all the time because of Dropbox on the iPhone. And, you know, I, I never would have thought when I started practicing law that, that you know, a device that size um, would enable me to, to be that accessible to all my clients. Not that I give them my cell phone number because I, I made that mistake one time and learned to never do it again. Um, but if something does come up in the office, um, to be able to pull up their order when I'm on the road or at the courthouse or at lunch or whatever and, and see what's going on. And to, to be able to to be hands on like that is is in my particular practice is just invaluable, um, and and yeah, I mean I think it's right up there with the invention of the light bulb. I mean, could could people work at night before? Sure, they could sit by a candle and and do things, but not nearly as efficiently as we can now with you know fluorescent lights and so forth. Um, and and just the, I mean that that's what I really that's what I'm going to remember Steve Jobs for. One of the main things is making that information so easy to access, um, to be able to literally interface with your data one to one. I mean, for instance, when when the iPhone came out, you know, everyone of course was predicting it was going to be a huge flop because it didn't have a keyboard or you know you didn't didn't have the tactile keys and so forth. And even I thought I'm I'm not going to like typing on that thing, but. You know, you do it a couple times, and hey, it's really easy. And now, you know, it's hard to it's hard to imagine what it was like before. Um, and and just you know, to 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 see that to think back, however many years ago when when the iPhone was rolled out, okay, it's got one button on it. Well, how do you control it? Well, you you push, you touch the screen and tell it what you want it to do. And now with the new one that's coming out tomorrow, you just talk to it and it does it. I mean, I think it's going to be another. You know, game changer like the like the the original one was, um, but those are things that we could have never imagined. My kids think I'm a dinosaur. I was telling them that when I was young, um, I actually had a black and white TV in the house, and and all our phones were rotary dial phones. And trying to explain to them that you know cordless phones didn't exist back then, and when they did, we could only walk outside you know 30 feet from the house. And and you know, I'm 30 years older than my kids. Well, you know, you project, you look at the changes that have happened in the last just five years with this technology, and then you roll that forward with the things that he's put in place and, and his demanding standards that he has at Apple and the, the, you know, the people that he lined up when, when I think he knew that, you know, the end was near for him. And, um, yeah, I mean, I really think that, that it's going to be different for generations and, and I'm not one to, to heap praises like that. I mean, there are probably four or five people, you know, since Christ that I would say that about and and you know I think Steve Jobs is one of them. Well gentlemen it's time for us to take a quick break. We will have more on Steve Jobs and his impact on the legal profession when Lawyer to Lawyer returns. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the benefits of cloud computing. 
Now, what do you think the single biggest benefit to cloud computing is? In talking to our customers recently uh, about that very question, I was surprised with what came back with as, as a really resounding response, and, and that was that it's the convenience and the freedom that cloud computing affords them. The ability to get their work done from anywhere, whether it's at their office, at the courthouse, at home, or even if they're on vacation, they're able to get their work done where and when they need to get it done. Uh, the mobile aspect of things is also increasingly important. Well, with cloud-based software, you can access your data and software from your iPhone or your iPad, uh, your BlackBerry, uh, and other mobile devices. So for the uh, lawyers that are on the move, which is an increasing uh, proportion of lawyers, that's a, a really key benefit as well. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if anyone wants additional information on Clio, they can feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. This is Kate Kenny at Legal Talk Network, and I'm talking with attorney Brian Manginis, co-founder of Above All Legal, an innovative new online legal job board. Brian, you are a lawyer. How did you apply your experience in law and staffing to create Above All Legal? Well, my wife Mimi and I have both been lawyers for over 20 years, and in addition to our legal experience, we also successfully ran a string of legal staffing and search companies. And so what we've done with Above All Legal is bring our best insight and experiences and combined that effort into one online legal job board where both legal employers and uh, legal professionals can connect with each other. We've been talking to attorney Brian Manginas, co-founder of Above All Legal. Check it out at AboveAllLegal.com. That's AboveAllLegal.com. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial playing in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at LegalTalkNetwork.com. Lawyer to Lawyer is celebrating its sixth year here on Legal Talk Network. That's a lot of legal talk by our great hosts, attorneys Bob Ambrosi in Massachusetts and Craig Williams in California. Thanks, Craig and Bob, for the best podcast for legal professionals and the longest continually published legal podcast anywhere. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're joined today by Ben Stevens, practicing attorney and blogger for the popular blog The Mac Lawyer, and Finnis Price, attorney and co-founder of Techno ESQ or Technoesque Presentations. Well, before the break, Ben, we were talking about uh, the new iPhone that's coming out. You're going to be able to talk to it in order to control it. So 
before that comes out and what you're using right now, what's the go-to Apple product that you grab? Well, for me, it's my iPad. Um, well, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed that you're asking me that today uh, because I'm, I'm still using a um, a 3GS iPhone. Um, I, I've held out on the 4 thinking that the 5 was going to come like everybody else, and so, but I've I'm getting a, a 4S tomorrow. Um, but I, I use my iPhone a lot more than I use my iPad. Um, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm guilty of being a lawyer there. Um, I, you know, like a lot of us get busy and I, and I feel bad because I know all the great things that the iPad can do. Um, but, but, you know, figuring out, um, which apps I want to use, um, has become tricky because now there's so many and that's a good problem to have. Um, but I, you know, my, my day to day, I mean, I use, I've got a MacBook Pro, a 13 inch uh, MacBook Pro that I use all the time. But outside of that, um, my, my iPhone is, is my, my lifeline. Now I know Finnis is, he's Mr. iPad. And so when, you know, when I do have a question about what's the best app to use for this or that, you know, he, he's the go-to guy on that one. Finnis, is that true? Do you use the, is your, the iPad your go-to Apple product? It most certainly is. I've actually gotten to the point where I am uh, going to get off of the unlimited data plan that I was grandfathered into on my iPhone uh, just because I just don't use my iPhone as much anymore for Internet or anything like that. It's a rare occasion I'll check my mail on my iPhone. Normally then it's just to quickly weed out uh, messages that I'm not going to read. But for the most part, if I'm going to grab something, I'm grabbing my iPad, and, and that's that's my – Apple product of choice. Uh, my laptop, gosh, the only time I really use my laptop is when we're doing presentations and trial uh, for, for other attorneys or when I'm going out and speaking at, at any of these events. It just seems to be something that I just use less and less as I, as I get more and more used to the iPad and more apps come out being able to do exactly what I want them to do. Well, um, do you think we're ever going to see a combined iPhone and iPad? The one thing that just, I have both, an iPhone and an iPad. And the one thing that bothers the daylights out of me is that I got to carry two devices in order to have a phone. I don't think so. I mean, the reason I don't think we would is because we will all, there will always be a need for a device that can fit inside of one hand uh, that you're going to be using for telephone or absolutely whatever you're doing. You know, it's interesting because, as we all know, the Android phones continue to get larger and larger, almost to the point where they're becoming small tablet computers. And I recently read an article where someone said he thinks he understands why the uh, Apple has been so reluctant to actually make the screen size for the Apple uh, phones any larger. And that's because when you're holding your iPhone in your hand, your thumb, if you, if you do a, a semicircle and reach all the way across the front of your iPhone, you can reach almost the entire screen simply by moving your thumb across it. As the width of the phone becomes larger, you can reach less and less of the screen. And so at that point, you start having to use another hand to actually access it. But one of the great things about a phone is you can make a phone call, check email, do anything you need to with one hand while you're doing something else with another. And so that's why I really think there's always going to be a need for some small device that I'm going to use to actually handle those types of things. Oh, or you could just use that one hand and look down on the phone and fall into a fountain. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they have the camera on the other side for, so that way you can look at the screen and see what's below you. So you can see where you're walking and you don't trip? <laughs> wow. So let's let's take a lesson here. Um, if you were to 
give to the legal community one thing that uh, you've learned from Steve Jobs, what would you say that that is? And, and how would it apply to the legal community? Well, for me, um, I, I think it would be demand excellence of yourself and those around you. Um, you know, Steve Jobs, from, from my understanding, I've read a couple books. I've got a book um, on my bookshelf called Inside Steve's Brain, and it, it talks a lot about his methodologies. And, and those that, that work with him, I think, and even himself would admit he was a, a um, harsh taskmaster at times. But, you know, that's what it takes to be great. Um, not settling for good enough, not settling for good even. Um, if great is possible, then, then be great and, and, you know, expect those around you to do the same. And that's for me, I mean, that, that's a challenge because, you know, a lot of times you get to a place in your practice or you get to a place, even an individual case where you think, well, you know, I've done a good job and, uh, and you may have, but I know my clients, at least when they hire me, you know, they want me to do a great job. And so mm-hmm. I, you know, that's something for, for him. And, and it, it's not always the popular way, and, and particularly with those around you. Um, you know, sometimes you may be judged a little uh, a little harshly um, at present, but, you know, I think history will, will look back kindly on, on what he what he's done um, and, and the, the impact that it's had on the world. Gentlemen, it's, t- it's, it's time for us to uh, wrap up at the end of our program here and, and get your final thoughts as well as your contact information. As one part of your final thought, Finis, as I turn to you, I'd like you to kind of give us a preview of what you think is coming from Apple down the road. I mean, Tim Cook's taken over and he may not be Steve Jobs, but we certainly have some things in the pipeline. So give us a preview and, and your final thoughts and contact information, please. I think it's pretty obvious that that the interface between iOS, you know, the operating system for your iPhone and for your iPad is going to start becoming very, very closely related, if not the same operating system that will be running on your computer. Um, I could, I potentially see a day where you'll be using your iPad as almost the touch interface for interacting with the computer that you have on your desk. Um, you know, I know that they've done some research into having the entire screen when you're looking at your desktop, a touch screen, and the problem is no one wants to keep their hands up high that high. Um, and so what I foresee is starting to marry those two in that touch interface into the, the desktop experience. And at that point, I really think that's when we're going to start seeing some amazing changes going on, you know, something to the point where your entire desktop is a screen, a big touch screen. And so your entire interface is with the desktop. We no longer have monitors on our desk or anything like that. I'm hopeful we're going to see 3D. At some point. But Finis, how about your contact information so our listeners can reach out to you if they have further questions? Well, you can always go to my blog, technoesq.com, or actually a new blog I just launched, uh, ipadesq.com. And of course, if you want to email me with any questions, Finis, F-I-N-I-S, at technoesq.com. Great. And Ben, your final thoughts and, and contact information, please. I'm going to echo a lot of what Finnis said. I, I think that the distinction would be I, I foresee the iPad, just, just based on what I'm seeing here in Spartanburg with attorneys, um, I would say multiples more I see attorneys now with just an iPad as opposed to having a laptop with them. And I think as as the operating system um, becomes more integrated with, you know, with desktop uh, computing and with the cloud and, and as you know, uh, the data becomes more easy uh, or easier to transfer back and forth, I think we're going to see more of that. And, and, but for the exact reasons Finnis said, and I think Google has shown, um, with their Chromebooks, which I've, I've got one, uh, that I, I kind of play with and experiment on, but that, you know, I think that the, the, the key of the Chromebook is that, you know, it, it can change the way of what you think you really need in a computer and, and a hard drive, 
is not always what you really need. And and that's just an interesting way to, to, to look at things and think about it. And so, um, I, you know, I, I think Apple's going to be fine. I think they're in good hands. I think they're going to miss uh, Steve Jobs terribly, but, um, but I think they're in good hands and they'll, they'll continue to be an innovative industry leader in, in accessing information for, you know, for years to come. Um, as far as my contact information, of course, the, the Mac Lawyer blog is at themaclawyer.com. Uh, my practice blog, uh, my practice website rather is SpartanburgLawyers.com, and my email is Ben at SpartanburgLawyers.com. Great, well, gentlemen, thank you both very much for being on the program, and I'm going to give you one surprise question here at the very end uh, as a follow-up to your final thoughts. And just real quick, Ben, what's your go-to app? Oh wow. Um, <laughs> I'd have to say Dropbox just because I've got so much, um, I've got so much data in there and, and I'm in and out of Dropbox all the time. So, um, without thinking anymore, I'm going to have to say Dropbox. And Finnis, your, your go-to application. Mine, my, like most lawyers, my calendar is my life. Uh, and so I've now, just now recently found a replacement for iCal, a program called Calvitica. Uh, C-A-L-V-E-T-I-C-A costs about $2, I believe and it has literally changed the way I interface with my calendar uh, calendaring system. It's absolutely an amazing calendar. Excellent. Well, thank you both very much. It's certainly interesting. I mean, I, I hope that personally one of the things for my final thoughts I think that I would love to see come out is the the, the true uh, 3D holograms that can that uh, harken back to uh, Princess Leia coming out of R2D2 on Star Trek. I mean, on Star Wars. Uh, I think that uh, you know, once we get television or computers to the point where we can watch holograms, I think we're going to be uh, way way ahead of the game. And I think the one of the other things I'd love to see, and I'm really pleased to hear the Apple 4S coming out with voice control because it seems to me that that's long overdue. In any event, uh, that's it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. For our listeners, remember you can now get CLE credit through West Legal End Center for listening to select Legal Talk Network podcasts. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on the West Legal Ed Center there. You can also find all of our Legal Talk Network shows. I think there's now somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 on iTunes. Surprisingly enough, that's a nice tip of the hat to Steve Jobs as we wrap up this program today. We'll be back again next week with another great legal topic. So you, when you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.